Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Good. I have a, a couple of other things to talk about. On the Passion Feast, it was amazing. It was really, really amazing. And particularly those guys who camped. Some chickened out almost from the very beginning. Others braved it almost to the end, which is absolutely amazing. They deserve the Hillside Medal of Honor. They really do. They, it is incredible what they put up with. But I, I do want to say there were about 60 or so people from Hillside there, and Hillside's presence made a serious impact on the place, on the event. It really, really did. I've been there for a number of years now, and I think we added a weight, we added a solidity to the thing which was, was actually really powerful. Um, many things we can single out of that, but, but um, Luke sent a video along with us to advertise a leader's advance in June, and people were like, wow, how do Hillside produce videos like that? You know, that is, that is amazing. Uh, we had Caleb and team leading worship for us on the Saturday night, which just floored the place. It was, it was absolutely something else. So I just want to honor us as a church, say we were incredibly, amazingly represented there, and we had a serious impact on the event. So well done to Hillside, and thank you for everyone who supported that. Um, we have a special occasion happened this week which is none other than Ken and Bev, who are hiding over there, achieved a magnificent milestone in their life together. They celebrated their golden wedding on Friday. Is that right? So that is something. Won't you stand and let's seriously honor this couple. Yay. Thank you. Come on, keep going. Go, <laughs> That is an incredible achievement. It really, really is. And Ken and Bev, we just pray the grace that is upon you. We thank God for that. And we pray just a multiplication of that grace in the amazing years that lie ahead. We thank you for the way that God uses you too. We thank you for your joy. We thank you for your positivity. We thank you for the incredible injection of life into this community, and we bless it, and we are eager for a whole lot more. And we thank you for the testimony that this marriage has been in our community and to many other people as well. So bless you guys. It's fantastic. Um, the last thing I need to talk about is this. It is that same old topic of money again. Um, we kind of periodically update you on where things are at because we've been tight financially as a church for, for quite a season. Um, we spoke in February that the tithes had experienced this fairly calamitous collapse, and we were, I can't remember how much it was, but we were way, way under budget. And you responded amazingly. And February going into March was absolutely fantastic, and things got right back on course again, and that was truly fantastic. And then April arrived, and March into April was kind of as bad as January into February, which means at the moment we're sitting about 100,000 rand 
below budget, which is not something we have any capacity to absorb or cope with or whatever else. So I simply want to say this, that if, if for whatever reason you've been distracted, otherwise engaged or whatever, can I appeal to you to get on board as soon as possible just to help us climb out of this current hole because God is bigger than this and we are bigger than this. We we're just chatting in the core team this week. We, we are the church who in previous years employed people purely to be a blessing to other churches. That, that is who we were. That was, that was our apostolic heart. We used to give away between 10 and 20% every month just, just to bless other people. We used to spend something like between 5 and 10% of our income every year just traveling to other churches to bless them. And, and we are that people. This is our heritage. This is, this is what we are founded in. And, and this, this does not define us. It really doesn't. So, so simply, my appeal to us is if we can, whatever our own personal faith role in this thing is, is to step up and say, actually, no, we're going we're gonna to take up this slack and we're going to climb out of this particular hole. We've climbed out of the last one. We're going to climb out of this one because God is bigger than these things. Is that okay? I, I don't want this to be a heavy on us, but we, we are more than this. We really, really are more than this. So bless you, that's all my bits and pieces. It's a bits and pieces kind of day today, but that's good. Sometimes family is like that. Turn with me to Genesis 35. I want to preach a passage that I don't, I'm sure I have read it before. I don't recall reading it. And I certainly don't recall ever preaching from it before. But Genesis 35, I want to speak today about who we are and who we are no longer and who we never were. All right, that's my title. Who we are, who we are no longer, and who we never were. So Genesis 35, God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ears Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. There's just been a fallout between, between the, the inhabitants of Shechem and the, and the sons of Jacob, and they've, they've done a dirty on each other. And if you want to read that, that story is in chapter 34. But that's, that's the context of, of they didn't pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which means the house of God, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. 
And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bacuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. One of the things I learned at the King's Feast is, is that Brahm would rather be known as Abraham. Is that right? Is that correct? So we have our very own Abraham in our midst. How about that? Abraham comes to this church. That is absolutely fantastic. So, what God can do through us is defined by two things. And the first is his calling and his gifting upon us. That that's defines what God can do for us. It defines what God can do through us. But the second thing is our availability, which Anya mentioned when she was out here. Because without our availability, the call and the gift of God on my life remains strictly potential. And potential doesn't really do anything. It's just something that could be. And it will always be in the could-be realm without my availability to what God is wanting to do. And availability is a lot more than a decision of the will. Availability is a lot more than a choice. You can wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be available to God today, and it will last about half an hour on average, I guess. Is that right? Have you, have you ever done that? You know, today is the day. Anybody ever had one of those days? And, and it doesn't last very long. It's a whole lot more complicated than just saying, I have decided to make my life available. Isn't God grateful? You know, I, I, have, I have presented him with this amazing offering, and he should be eternally grateful to me. Availability flows from something rather deeper than just a decision of my will. It flows out of my character. My character determines my availability to God. And Jacob had character issues. He was a guy with some serious character issues. His name was Jacob. And Jacob means one who grabs a hold by the heel. Because you remember when he was born, he, he came out holding onto Esau's heel. And, and, and the phrase, one who grabs onto the heel, is a Hebrew idiom for a cheat. So, so that was his name right from birth. He's the one who cheats. If, if in a Hebrew game of cards, you were the guy who had an extra ace stuffed up your sleeve, 
then you would have been called one who grabs by the heel because that's the figure of speech that they use to describe that. So he had some character issues, and a lot of the story of Jacob, his conflict with Esau and his dealings with Laban and everything else is the process of God grabbing a hold of his character and dealing with this young man and changing him from being this cheating person who cheated his brother, who cheated Laban, who was cheated by Laban, and he, he lived in this cheating environment. And God had to deal with his character to bring him to the place where he could reaffirm his covenant with him that a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Because that was the calling, and he needed Jacob to be available for that calling. But his character disqualified him. I went to a school where they believed that character was formed by a certain amount of emotional abuse, by public shaming, by making you march up and down in military uniforms, by compulsory sport in all weathers, um, etc., etc. That seemed, I mean, they never said it like that, but that seemed to be the theory that that's how you bring, build character into a young kid is by doing that kind of stuff for us. I'm not sure whether that really worked or whether it really works. The monastic system was founded on the belief that character is formed through poverty, um, fasting, and flagellation. That's the way to build character. I'm not sure that really worked either, if you look at the legacy of that down the years. But my conviction, which grows stronger and stronger year by year, is that character flows entirely out of our sense of identity. That who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, determines the character that we act out. And our performance, our availability to God, how we treat one another, how we deal with life flows out of how we perceive ourselves in the midst of that. So that's why I want to talk today about knowing who we are. And in this case, it was Israel. This young man had to know that who he was was Israel. About knowing who we are no longer And this young man had to know that he was no longer Jacob. That was a past which no longer defined his identity. And third, about knowing who we never were. And for Jacob, that was a worshipper of foreign gods. Jacob was never into that stuff. He seemed to have wives and whatever who were into that stuff, but Jacob never was. He was a worshipper of uh, El Elohim or, or, or whatever name of God was, was used in these times. I think this was before um, Yahweh. I, th- I don't think that name was, was known to Abraham. It's only revealed to Moses. But he was a worshipper of that God. So he never was a worshipper of the gods of the nations. So that's, that's basically my, my journey for us today. It's looking at who we are who we, never, who we are no longer, and who we never were. So who am I? I am a son of God. Ta-da! New revelation. I am a son of God. This is amazing. I have an inheritance. I am part of a royal priesthood. I am living under his favor, 
is the light of his glory shines upon me. I have a destiny seated with Christ in heavenly places. And that is amazing, and we know that, except that it has to look like something. And what does my sonship look like? And I sat down yesterday just preparing this, and I, I started writing some stuff down. What does it mean for me to be a son of God, practically? What does, that, what does that look like from day to day? Well, it looks like this. It looks like that I am the guy who went out scared stiff on outreach on the beachfront, found some guy from a township in Stanger who was walking with obviously sore feet, ended up kneeling on the pavement, praying for this guy's feet. I'm not sure he was healed, but he was reduced to, the, to tears by the experience of an umlungu on his knees in front of him, fondling his feet. And I think it was tears of overwhelming years of grief and goodness knows what that came flooding out of that guy. I'm the guy who preached at the funeral following the tragic death of two young men, out of which dozens got saved and Hillside Youth experienced its first revival going back 20 years or whatever that was. I'm the guy who prayed for another young man here one Sunday evening who had cartilage issues in his knees and who felt bones moving around in his knees. It was a weird feeling. Under my hand is stuff shifting and whatever. It was the most strange, strange experience. I'm the guy who sold a house and gave away the proceeds. And unlike Ananias and Sapphira, we gave it all away, not just part of it, because I'd learned a serious lesson there. I'm the guy who raised up leaders for church plants in multiple nations. I'm the guy who, when we were building this building, we, we hit a crisis of, of, we were actually occupying it, but it wasn't really finished. So there was no balustrade, there was no fire extinguishers, and there's bits and pieces, minor things, you know, balustrades, minor stuff. Now, we actually barricaded off the top floor. But they served us with a whatever notice, an occupation, a desist notice, or whatever it was, saying we had to get out within 10 days unless we finished off these items of work. And the bill for these items of work came to an amount of money that today would be equivalent to about 500,000 rand. So we had 10 days to complete work, not just to, to get the money, but to complete work valued at 500,000 rand. And we did it. We got there. It was amazing. In the space of 10 days, we raised and completed, and did enough of that work anyway to satisfy them. I am the guy who swept a young lady off her feet and married her. I'm the guy who raised three amazing, seriously powerful daughters. I am the guy who started a healing revival at gym. Everybody in the gym that afternoon got saved. Not didn't get saved, they all got healed, sorry. Both of them got healed. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> but hey, you start somewhere. I am the guy who gets up in the morning with overflowing joy. I am the guy who hears the voice of God with clarity and accuracy. I am the guy who finds life-defining revelation in Scripture. I'm the guy who gets profoundly lost in worship. 
I am the guy who is overpowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm the guy who speaks to government ministers. I am the guy who puts marriages back together. Now, listen, I'm not boasting because I'm talking to myself and you are merely eavesdropping on my conversation. So I'm not here to impress anyone. Please understand what I'm doing in this. And you can say to me, Richard, is every day like this? And the answer is no, no ways, nothing like. But my point is simply this, that everywhere your feet shall tread, I will give to you. Every experience that we have lived becomes part of our inheritance. Everything that we have done, every journey we have taken, we have spiritually earned the right to go there again with a freedom and a liberty because it has become something which we have possessed. And my point this morning is simply that this is who I am because this is what I have possessed. My identity is defined not by the average of who I am. On average, I'm this kind of person. And it's definitely not defined by my low points. Imagine that if we defined ourselves by the low points of our life. I want to suggest today that our identity is defined by the best that we are. Is that right? And, and it's not even limited to that. The best that we are points towards what our true identity is. It points to something that God has yet to unveil and release to us. It's an indication of what is to come. Jesus, bless you. Mothers are amazing. Loaded down with prams and bags and babies. That's amazing. Bless you, mothers. Jesus was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But that was not his identity. That was what he had to walk through. But his identity is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the bridegroom of his bride, the firstborn among many brethren. That is his identity. That is who he is. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before. That is his identity. So today, I'd love for us to ask afresh the question, who am I? And I'd love to invite you to do the exercise that I did and, and celebrate the high points of your life and say, that is, that is something of what I look like. It's not the full picture, but it's, it's, it's an indication of who I am in God. And I need to know who I am in order to be available to him. If my self-perception is tied down to the muddy average of my life experience, then I am not as available to God as he wants me to be. Second question is who I am no longer. So Israel is no longer Jacob. He is no longer the cheat. As, as somebody 
graciously announced for me earlier on. I celebrated my birthday this week. Uh, and and if, if you're one of those people who forgot or never knew or anything, peace upon you. I'm terrible at doing that stuff myself. I find social media a bit weird, and, but, but bless you. And those who did send greetings, thank you so much. Be honored and blessed for that. I appreciate that. But I celebrated my 63rd birthday. So when those two got married, I was still a lighty, which makes me feel pretty good, actually. But there we are. That's my encouragement for today, anyway. But, but you know, anyone who's over the age of 25 knows that a birthday is kind of a double-edged thing because it affords you copious opportunity for self-reflection and introspection and morbidity and all that stuff. Does anybody else know, have any clue what I'm talking about there? So, so this birthday, likewise, it wasn't like a special landmark thing or whatever. My wife was amazing. She looked after me fantastically. Um, but it, it did afford certain opportunity for that introspection, which turned a little bit, if I'm honest, into self-pity. And, and having, having ventured into that ground, immediately I was connected with a whole selection of experiences of self-pity stretching back through my life. From one episode at school that I have no idea what was about, but I remember the, the feeling very intensely, to, to living in our first flat after we got married. And you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing getting married in this sense, that until that point you have lived with your parents in their relative prosperity, and you step out from under the glow of their lifestyle into this miserable, decrepit little apartment. And, and something inside you says, I deserve better than this, you know? I'm, I'm, this isn't me, I'm, this is what's wrong, you know? And, and there was an element of that in, in the first place that we lived. I remember feeling self-pity on my 30th birthday. I have no idea why. It was just one of those moments when life was now over, officially. There was no hope left, you know. It was, it was as Myrtle told me earlier on, it was downhill all the way from 30. Um, so most of us have got no hope left, you know. But, but you know, self-pity is unattractive, and self-pity, more than that, is, is a sin, I think. Because the one thing self-pity doesn't have is any faith. And Paul says that whatever is not of faith is sin. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? But, but so the things we indulge ourselves in, it's probably sin at the end of the day. So if you want to put a label on it. But the voice that came as I remembered these chain of experiences, you see, Richard, you haven't changed. You are that person. And something inside of me rose up and said, actually, I am no longer that person. That whatever I was, and if, if for Jacob it was being this cheat, if for me it was this person, an, an aspect of which was to indulge in self-pity from time to time, Something rose up and said, actually, I am no longer that person. And do you know what? I was no longer that person. And within five minutes, every ounce of self-pity in me had disappeared. I've no idea where to. I didn't rationalize it away. 
I didn't exhort it away. I didn't beat it away. I didn't, I didn't meditate it away. I just came to the point of saying, actually, no, it isn't me. And I refuse to accept that I am still that person. I refuse to accept that the emotional needs of that person still have any claim on my life right now. Because the truth is this, Romans 6.3, and I'm sure Dylan preached it wonderfully last week, but it says, do you not know, brethren, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Is everything James preached last week? I believe he was amazing. Yay! That's fantastic. Everything James preached here last week about the cross being about giving us new life about laying the old to rest and raising the new. That's what it's about. You see, when, when, when you are dead, you no longer have any emotional needs. Do you know that? You know, your emotional needs kind of come to an end at that point. You know, it is over. There is no claim there any longer. So the emotional needs associated with that school kid with that newly married guy, with that guy turning 30, actually, those are no longer my emotional needs because that person is dead. That person is buried. And I am raised now in newness of life. I don't need to wrestle with temptation. I don't need to struggle with this thing. All I need to do is remember that actually I'm dead. Therefore, it has no claim upon me. So whatever that person looked like, whether it was the drinking, or whether it was the porn, or whether it was the abuse, or the anger, or the anxiety, the deception, which was Jacob's problem, the depression, the greed, the covetousness, the lust, the gossip, whatever else you want to add into that, the, the beauty of what God is doing with us is simply the acknowledgement that I am no longer that person because that person's died. And therefore, my victory over this is not a day-by-day -day wrestle of getting the better of it. It's simply the realization of an identification with Christ. See, self-pity flows out of a sense of injustice. I deserve better than this. Woe is me, poor old me. I don't deserve to be sick. Anyone here ever said that? <laughs> I do not deserve to be sick. I don't need this in my life right now. Okay. We deserve a better job. We deserve better treatment. We deserve more money. We deserve for our family to understand us more. We deserve a whole lot of stuff. And, and in our self-pity, we want them to change. And the cross is an incredible place where we no longer, two things happen. No longer do we need to be bound by those emotional needs. 
but by the same token, we can forgive the people who we perceive to have failed us by not meeting our emotional needs. So the cross is a difficult place because we've got to let go of what we feel we deserve in order to let go of the destructive emotions in our life and step through the other side so easily, so beautifully, so cleanly into a place where none of that matters anymore because I have a new life and he is my justice. He is the one who does right by me. I am no longer that person. So Jacob had to know that he was no longer Jacob. And you know the story of him wrestling with God and God renames him. Now Israel is driven with man and God and, and you are a new creation. And, and the name change from, from Jacob to Israel was a foreshadowing of the cross and what it would do for every single one of us. And every one of us can identify with the new name. Revelation that speaks of the stone being given to every one of us with a new name that only the recipient knows what that name is. And God has renamed you. And it's time, it's over time for some of us to start saying, I am no longer that person because I have been renamed. I have a new identity. That's number two. That's who I am no longer. And then number three is who I never was. Jacob was never a worshipper of foreign gods. There's no story in Scripture of Jacob bowing down to idols or any of that stuff. And yet they accumulated around him, probably through Rachel and Hagar. Who's the other one? Not Hagar. Leah. That's it. Thank you. It's my Bible tutor in the front here. Thank you, Tanya. Um, they seemed to accumulate around him. So his household seemed to have this collection of foreign gods that they dragged around with them. And there's a strange story of Rachel on the camel and she's got tucked in her bag and you know, you know all that stuff. But, but it wasn't Jacob's issue. That wasn't him. That wasn't what he was about. And of course, they were no gods at all, actually. They were bits of wood. But associated with them were deceiving spirits masquerading as deities. Always associated with them. Have you ever experienced fear walking into a room? And I don't mean that you walk into a room and it's full of fear. I mean that you sit in a room and suddenly fear walks in. And it's like, where did that come from? Ten seconds ago, I was at peace. And suddenly fear has arrived. And I'm now experiencing something. This is spiritual. This is not me. And, and this is the crucial thing. It is not me because it never has been me and is not me now. And, and what I'm feeling isn't me. And the capacity, the spiritual awareness to be able to say, what's going on here is not about me, is super profound for us. And for us to be available to God, if we take on board every negative emotion, every ne negative spiritual atmosphere that we encounter, we disqualify ourselves from being available for what God is wanting to do. Because we're sitting under a cloud that is not of our making, but has been given freely to us to sit under. Here's my cloud for you. 
Would you like to sit under it? Oh, thank you. That's a really interesting cloud. I shall sit there all day. Anybody ever sat under a cloud that somebody else gave to you? Where did that come from? I have no idea. Who brought that in? How do we deal with a spiritual atmosphere? We have to first acknowledge the source. Okay? This is not me. We have to separate it from ourselves and say, I see you, spirit of fear. I, 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 I discern this atmosphere. And this is so, so, this is not just for the, the, the freaky spiritual people who see angels and everything. This is for every one of us. We have to do this. We have to be spiritually attuned enough to know when something is happening in our environment that is a spiritual invasion. And there's enough stuff around for that to happen on a very regular basis. So stuff has just walked into my life here. I recognize the source of this thing. I discern it. I define it. I, I, I announce it. And I say, this is not me. This is a spirit of fear that has just walked in. Then number two, we decline the offer to partner with it. So I see you fear, but I'm not going to have a conversation with you. I'm not going to engage with you in all the reasons that I should be fearful. I'm not going to go down that road. There's, there's an interesting little verse here where it says they, they delivered up to Jacob their household idols and their earrings. And, and the commentators, they don't really know what the significance of the earrings is. But I think for me it symbolically speaks of an ear that is attuned, an ear that is turned to listen. And the taking off of the earrings for me, and, and forgive me if it's fanciful, it signifies something of an unwillingness to engage with what these things represent. So actually fear, I'm not going to have a conversation with you. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say to me because this is spiritual, what is going on here. And then the third thing they did was they put them away. And it says, Jacob buried them under this tree. And, and, and it's not our job to send every spiritual being to the pits of hell. and you know, we, that's, that's not necessarily, God will sort that out. All we've got to do is just put them away. We don't have to find a waterless place to send them to. We, that, that's, what happens to them is not our job. We just need to know that actually in this environment, where I'm ruling on behalf of the kingdom of heaven, actually, no, I do not give you permission to do your stuff here. So just leave us. There's three really, really simple steps. Number one, acknowledge. Number two, refuse to engage. And number three, to send away. Have you ever been slimed? Bethel taught us that word. I love it. Ever been slimed by someone? You're having quite a cool day and somebody comes and verbally vomits over you. You ever had that experience and you walk away stinking? You think, oh my goodness me, what just happened here? I see you, shame. And I refuse to partner with you. I'm not going to own this shame that has been vomited all over me. I'm not going to own that. 
I refuse to have a conversation with you about whether they were right or wrong. I'm not going to enter into that. Not now. So you can just go from here. And the alternative is I can walk around all day smelling of somebody else's vomit, which is not cool and probably doesn't release me into the purposes of God, all right? Because we're supposed to be an odor, a fragrance of heaven to those who are being saved. You wake up in the morning and there is this heaviness. And it's nothing to do with what you drank the night before either. But there's just this spiritual heaviness in the place. And what is this about? This is not my normal. I am Richard, who wakes up full of joy. So this actually is not my normal. So I do not embrace this. Here is my opportunity to have a bad day. It's being offered to me. Do I want to accept it or not? Actually, no, I choose not to accept this because this is not who I am and it's actually not who I've ever been. So I decline to partner with you. Thank you very much. Spirit of depression or whatever this thing is. Thank you for the offer, but no, I'm not going to engage with you and you can just leave this space and leave me alone. I decline your offer. It's not about you. That is so, so important. This is not about me. And we internalize so much stuff that we shouldn't. And we make it our problem to sort out when it was never our problem in the first place. Does that make sense? Actually, just go. Just leave me alone. You will be amazed if you start doing this how many issues resolve themselves so quickly think, wow, I don't have to spend a week analyzing that and sorting it out and working it out and self-examining. I can just move on because it's not about me. It was never my problem. So we need to rule over atmospheres that have nothing to do with us because if we don't, they will rule over us. And when we allow atmospheres to rule over us, then we make ourselves unavailable for what God wants to do with us. That's what I wanted to say today. So we need to know who we are positively. We need to know who we are no longer. And we need to know who we never were. This is actually not about me at all. Which releases us to walk in a freedom which releases us to have the character to be able to respond and participate in everything that God wants for us. And the consequence, Genesis 35, is that you shall be fruitful and you shall multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, from your own body. The land that I gave to Abram and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. This is a good land. We have an inheritance. But we need to be the people who are available to occupy the inheritance that God has for us. This is, this is not an option. This is not a um, higher degree for special spiritual people. 
This is every single one of us. This is, this is the ground that he has for us. This is what it takes for every one of us to have the testimony of God's amazing power working through our lives. So can we stand? I'd love to pray for us. As, as I watched you guys coming in this morning, it was like the Spirit was saying to me, there's, there's another temple of, of, of my presence just walked in. There's another one carrying my presence just walked in. And it was an amazing experience. It was, it was quite wonderful. And, and my heart cry is to see the honor of acknowledging what is true in spiritual reality, be earthed in a present experience. So, Father, I want to pray today for untapped potential. I want to pray for what could be to materialize, to incarnate, to, to touch earth in terms of testimony of what actually is in this place. I thank you that your purposes and your dreams and your intentions for us far exceed our capacity to imagine or to conceive. But Father, what little we can grasp today, we want to make ourselves available for. And I pray that you would just brand upon every single one of us a consciousness of who we are in you. I pray that you would, you would stamp that into our hearts in a way that we can never, ever lose sight of. I pray that you would teach us what it is to be a people who are daily available to you, not just as a kind of New Year's resolution, but Lord, as a people who have geared their lives, who have, have focused themselves to live in that manner that we are available to you. I pray you would stir us today. We pray for a, for a breaking off of every claim of the past upon us, everything that, that the enemy would tell us we still are. Lord, today we break that. We thank you just for this word on shame. We break, we break the power of the claim of shame on people's lives. We thank you for that testimony. We thank you we're free from that. We, we break the power of besetting sin in Jesus' name because it has been dealt with at the cross. And we say we are no longer those people. We break that in Jesus' name. And Lord God, I pray that you would teach us to recognize the atmospheres in which we move and to begin to be able to laugh at them to see the ridiculousness of the trips that the devil would try and lay upon us. Lord, would you deliver us from the naivety of embracing everything that comes along? Would you deliver us from that? Would you set us free to be people who rule and reign in this life as you have called us to Lord, would you unlock potential, I pray, for the sake of your kingdom in Jesus' amazing name.
Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.